1: ...representatives in Washington make every effort to follow their example. I'm Michael Medved.
0: The following program is sponsored by Church of the Redeemer in Gatorsburg, Maryland.
2: Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life stay with us as we discover god's truths that will transform us
1: the first thing i want to share with you today and the first principle we'll look at i'll talk about for a few moments together is that our highest and greatest fulfillment in life always comes from fulfilling god's purpose for our lives that if you're going to have your highest best life your greatest fulfillment in life you need to find out what god's purpose is for your life and fulfill it that's where duties and responsibilities begin it begins with knowing god's will for your life and god has a will for you. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. God created you for an important role, an important plan in the world. Every person is important. God has a purpose for your life. And the purpose of God for your life is not about you being known. It's not about you being prominent. It's about you living your life with significance. You may never be prominent. There may may never be lots of people that know you, but that doesn't really matter. If God knows you and if you're doing exactly what he wants you to do, that's really what matters. Prominence is not the big issue, but significance is. And significance is found in doing, accomplishing God's purpose for your life. And I will tell you, the fastest way to be miserable is to reject God's purpose and pursue your own. There's an Old Testament story that perhaps many of you are familiar with. I want to draw your attention to it again. In the book of Jonah, it's a story of a man who decided that he wanted to do his will rather than God's will. And let's take a look at what happens in Jonah's life. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. I'm going to read down through verse number 12. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. So there's this purpose Jonah's given, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and here's what you're supposed to do. Announce my judgment against it, because I've seen how wicked its people are. So here, Jonah, go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to Nineveh, and tell them that they need to repent. Notice verse number three, but Jonah got up, and what did he do? He went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Think about that for a moment. God says, go to Nineveh, Jonah says, no, I'm going in the opposite direction. It goes on to say that he went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How how can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. And the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do? To, to you to stop the storm. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Here's a story of a man that knew what God's purpose was for his life, but instead of doing God's will, he chose to do his own, and he ended up not only in trouble himself, but he caused trouble for a lot of other people. I will tell you that in life, when you choose to go the opposite direction of God, choose to run away from him instead of running toward him and doing his will, doing his purpose, you will create trouble for yourself and you'll create trouble for other people. And in this story, if you continue to read it in chapters 2 and 3 of Jonah, you'll find out that Jonah then was cast overboard a big fish swallowed him up we know that story he's in the belly of this fish for three days and God gets his attention and finally Jonah is ready to say yes to God and Jonah is then if you will vomited out again he comes out of the belly of the fish and he goes to Nineveh and preaches there to them and they repent and God's purpose is fulfilled but it all started with a terrible set of circumstances for Jonah because he resisted the will of God he was miserable because he didn't do what God designed him to do. When Jesus came down from heaven to earth, he came down submitted to the will of his father. Listen to how Jesus himself described it in John chapter 6, verse 38. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. In chapter 4, verse 34 of John, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In John 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also a very critical time in Jesus' life as he's facing the potential of crucifixion the next days in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays this prayer, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But then he prays, yet not my will, but yours be done. The Apostle Paul, in reflecting on the nature of Jesus, his submission to the will of his Father... Gives us this beautiful passage in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 5. It's one that perhaps you may be familiar with, but I want to highlight it for us this morning on this point. He writes and says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, the same thinking as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself notice this nothing by taking the very nature of a servant let me just parenthetically say there that if you are taking on the nature of a servant it means that you will do the will of your master He submitted himself to the will of his master. He took on the very nature of a servant, his master being father, God being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So here is this ultimate surrender of Jesus to the will of his father. Now notice what happens. Therefore, that is because he does this. Jesus has humbled himself. He's become obedient in submission to his father. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father therefore again what is it therefore because of what's just been said here is the application for us therefore my dear friends as you have always obeyed not only in my presence but now much more in my absence continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling that is live the same kind of life that Jesus lived because Jesus went down down in submission he was able to go up in honor number two i believe it's very important to know that it's my responsibility it's your responsibility to manage every gift that god gives you when you begin to live in god's purpose you live in god's purpose with a set of gifts that he's provided for you and those gifts are to be managed I'm going to use another word for manage just briefly for a moment here, and it's a word the Bible uses for it oftentimes, and that is the word steward. And we don't use that word very often today, and sometimes it has even a different connotation in our culture today in terms of what a steward is. But in the Old Testament and New Testament times, a steward was a manager. That's the whole idea, that you were given something that belonged to someone else, and the whole idea is you were to not only take care of something given to you, but actually to benefit what was given to you. You something so that there's increase. Let me share with you very quickly seven gifts that God has given to you that you must manage effectively with your life. Every person has these seven management responsibilities. If you want your life to go well, manage these things well. Number one, manage your temperament. Your temperament is your personality. Grow in a bit more patience and kindness and gentleness and all those things that represent the fruit of the Spirit. But the more you improve you the more effective you can be for the kingdom of God. And so you begin to say, Jesus, help me to grow my temperament so that I'm more like Christ, that I'm developing a Christ-like spirit and attitude about me, that my temperament, my personality begins to reflect the personality of Jesus. And so that's called self-control. It is learning to manage you. The toughest person you will ever manage in life is you. You're the toughest client you'll ever have. So here's this idea, manage your temperament. Are you paying attention to you? Number two, manage well your time. Why? Because your time is your life. That's what time is. It represents your life. This is your day, your opportunities, your days, your seasons of life. Every week, listen, every week, you and I have 168 hours. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You do the math, that's 168 hours every week. That 168 hours turns into 10,080 minutes every week over the course of a year. Listen, over the course of a year, God will give you, if you live an entire year, God will give you 524,160 minutes. That's over a half million minutes that you get every year. The question becomes, what are you doing with your time? You don't get it back. There's something interesting about time. You can't store it up. You can't put it in an account and say, I'll use that later. Once time is spent, it's spent. Number three, manage your treasure. God has given you some kind of financial resource, some kind of material resource. If you have a job, He gives you an income. There's resources that come into your life. And God says, I want you to learn to manage your money well. How do you manage your money well? You manage your money well, first of all, by giving your first percentage to God. And God has assigned what that is. It's called the tithe. The tithe is something that was established going before the law of Moses, going back to the time of Abraham. The first record of the tithe we have is Abraham giving a tenth of the spoils of battle to Melchizedek, the high priest. You read about that in Genesis chapter 14. Moses reinforces the principle of the tithe. We find it really described for us in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, where the prophet Malachi said, you're robbing God. And the people said, how are we robbing you? And Malachi, the prophet says, well, God says you're robbing him through your tithe and offerings, and then there's this, this very clear set of instructions. The instruction, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, says the Lord, and put me to the test, prove me in this. God says, and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing there's not even room enough to receive. But God says, I want you to bring that to me. And then Jesus reinforced it in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, where he described that this is something we ought to do. Now the tithe is the first 10% of that which God blesses you with. And the Bible says that if you don't bring that back to God you're actually stealing from God I didn't say that God said it. okay now why would God tell us to bring the first 10% and give it to him it's not because God needs your money it's not even because the church needs your money you need to give You need to be in a position of showing God that you trust Him. That you say, God, I am confident that you're going to take care of me. I'm not just going to say this. I'm going to demonstrate this with my life by my practice. I will tell you this. You cannot outgive God. And God says, if you'll just enter into covenant relationship with me. And you'll establish, put me first in your finance. I like to encourage people to practice what's known as the 10-10-80 principle. The 10-10-80 principle is the first 10% goes to God, the second 10% you try to save, put it away for some margin in your life, and the 80% you learn to live off of 80%. That means you might have to trim back your lifestyle a little bit, but I tell you what, it's always better to be giving to God and having something for your future and living off an effective amount of your life, 80%, so that you are able to begin to move forward and make it ahead in life. This is these principles that God gives you. But the important thing is to say, I'm going to make God first in my finances. Then the fourth thing, manage well your training. God gives you training opportunities. He brings things along your way to help you learn stuff. And if you don't manage that well, I've seen people before that had wonderful training opportunities spiritually. Or sometimes God will bring you a training moment for your career. And if you learn what you need to learn there, you can get a promotion. You can move to the next level because you're learning the things you need to learn. See, God gives you purpose, but then you have to manage the opportunities he brings your way. Then you have to manage well your tests. I will tell you something about tests. Tests are not designed to make you fail. Tests are designed to help you know how well you're doing, right? And where you need to improve. That's what a test is. A test is not when God gives you a test, it's not because He's angry with you. A test is designed to help us to learn where we are in our journey to get some information. And so when a test comes your way, don't just let it come and bypass you and not learn something from it. Find out what you need to learn. And then number six, here's a key one for your life. Manage your tongue. Oh, my goodness. Why is this so important? Because this little thing in the middle of your mouth will either bring you great blessing or terrible trouble. Then number seven, manage your talent. Grow your talent. See, gifts come to us in raw form, and the way that we develop them is by paying attention to them, by learning things that we need to learn about how to improve. Whatever it is that you're doing in life, always grow your talent. Always grow it. Why? Because it makes you, gives you more capacity to be used by God. The key thing is this. What God wants for your life when you manage your life well is He's looking for faithfulness from your life, right? Notice 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards or managers that one be found, what's the word there? Faithful. So when God says manage your gifts well, what, how does he want you to manage them with, what's the word again? Faithfulness, right? Faithfulness. Now let me take just a brief moment before we go to our last point and explain to you what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is growing or increasing whatever God gives you. That's what faithfulness is. Jesus taught this principle in Matthew 25. He said there was a master, a, a man that owned a business, we might say. And he brought three of his workers in. And he said, I'm going to go away for a period of time. So I'm going to leave some stuff with the three of you guys. And to you, I'm going to give you five bags of gold to manage for me. That portfolio will be yours. And this guy here, I'm going to give you two bags of gold to, to manage for me, to steward for me while I'm gone. To the other guy, I said, I'm going to give you one. And the Bible says that the the, 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 the owner of the business did this Uh, based upon the abilities of these three people, okay? So one has five, one, two, one, one. The man goes away for a period of time, then he shows back up again, and he calls these three workers together. hey guys, how we doing, let's talk about how things have been going since I've been gone away for a period of time, no, I gave you five, gave you two, gave you one, how, how did it go? And so the guy with five bags of gold comes back to the owner of the business and says, you know what, sir, I've, I've worked hard since you've been gone, I've I learned everything that I could, and I took your five bags of gold, and I've invested it, I've worked with it, and now I've got ten bags of gold to present back to you again and this owner of the business this master said well done good and come on church well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful in a few things i'm now going to make you ruler over many enter into the joy of your master and so there's this commendation because he had proven himself to be faithful what proved his faithfulness not just holding on to what he'd been given but what proved faithfulness was increasing what he'd been given there was another man who had the two, the two bags of gold. And the, the owner of the business said, well, what about you? How did you do? He said, well, I worked hard also. I, I worked and I invested your, your two bags of gold. And now I have something to give you back. I have four bags to present to you because, you know, this investment thing worked well. And I've, I've given myself to it. And the master again said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your master. The final guy sort of sheepishly held his head before the owner of the business and the guy said, well, what about you? I gave you one. He said, well, you know, you're such a hard man. I know you're tough and I didn't want to lose anything. So I went and dug a hole. I hid it in the hole. I didn't lose it. But here it is back. You gave me one. Here's one. Some of the saddest words in the entire Bible are found in the response of the owner, the master, to that man. Do you know what he said? He said, you wicked, lazy servant. Wow. Pretty rough, isn't it? What I gave you, you did nothing with it. So I'm going to take actually what I gave you, I'm going to give it to somebody else. Because you don't know what to do with what's given to you. Okay, You don't know what to do. See, the problem in this man's mind was he had created a mindset about the master. He created a mindset about the master, and there were no problems with the master. There was a big problem with the mindset of the man, okay? Because the master was a man who was willing to reward, but the mindset of this guy kept him living in fear and doing nothing with what had been given to him. So the more comes by the increase of our faithfulness, amen? Last point I want to conclude with today. The third thing that you and I need to remember is this. This is how you ought to think about your duties and your responsibilities. Attending to daily duties is one of the ways I fulfill God's will. The reason that daily is so important is because we all have a tendency to live in something other than today. We have a tendency to live in yesterday, the regrets of yesterday. Oh, I did this. That was a failure. I made a mistake here. Or this has happened in my life yesterday. So we live in the past. Other people are living in the future. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next year? And so I can't wait till I get there. I can't wait. One day I'm going to do God's will. One day I'm going to get there. And so we live way out here. And God says, oh, time out. Yesterday is already gone. You can't go back. No reason to spend your time on your yesterday except to learn some valuable lesson from yesterday for today. And tomorrow is not here. You're not even promised tomorrow. The only time you have is today. That's why Jesus, when he taught us to pray, said, pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. Don't worry about what you didn't have or had yesterday and don't spend your time worrying about what you're going to have or not have tomorrow. No, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because the only place you can be is where you are. The only time you can live in is now. You can't live in another time. Now is the time. The only time you have is right now. God says what I want you to do is focus in on the responsibilities and managing what I've given you right now. Do it daily. In your day. Don't spend your time on things that you cannot control. Focus your attention on Today. There's a story in the Old Testament of, of a man by the name of Eli, the priest. The story is found in 1 Samuel. There's a story of, you, find, you might remember Eli being the priest that spoke to Hannah who ended up having the baby called Samuel. It's an amazing story that happens there. But Eli was a man that, did, that failed to pay attention to what he should have been doing every day of his life. He had two sons that were priests also. And these two sons were wild and rebellious and they were going to the place of worship and they were not treating the offerings of God appropriately. And they were they were immoral in the way they were treating the ladies around the places of worship. And so the Bible says that God removed the priesthood from Eli because he did not restrain. He didn't discipline his children. He didn't do what he needed to do in the day, in the moment. See, there are duties and responsibilities that God gives you each day of your life. And you are wise when you pay attention to them and pay attention to your day, your daily duties. And so there's a mindset here. We're talking about how you think, what you believe, what's really important. What do you really believe? Well, I believe and I want you to believe. God wants you to believe that there's a purpose for your life. Amen. God wants you to believe that you're a manager. Okay. Okay. The things aren't just going to automatically happen. God says, I want you to believe this about yourself. You're a manager. That's who I called you to be. I want you to manage well at least all those seven areas of your life. Manage them well. Every one of these areas, your temperament, your time, your treasure, all those things. You manage it well. It's your job. And don't just spend your time thinking about doing it someday. Do it today, okay? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says as we wrap this up. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. He's describing his mindset, his belief system regarding his own work and how it engaged, how he engaged with it. He says in verses 3 through 6, 2 Corinthians 6, We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry Notice the next phrase there, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights and gone without food. Paul says, this is what life looks like for me. I have to work hard. And there are times I don't even get enough sleep at night. But I'm paying attention to my responsibilities. I'm paying attention to the duties that God has given to me. And then he goes on to say in verse 6, We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. Paul says this is proving the kind of love that we have for the people of God and the call of God. Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says, He is The one we proclaim, speaking of Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That was his purpose. And then notice how he went about it. To this end, I strenuously contend. Paul said, I've got a purpose. My purpose is to present every person that I have opportunity to to impact as a fully mature person in Christ. And this is how I do it. To this end, I strenuously contend. What does the word strenuous mean? You're putting some effort into it, right? You're putting some energy into it. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul says, every day I bring something to the table. Every day in my management responsibilities, I bring my strenuous effort. I bring my strenuous work. I put my whole heart in to the duties that God has given to me. And then I know that when I'm bringing all that I can bring that Christ will bring to me the energy that I need to fulfill the purpose He has for my life. And if I'll do it today as I need to do today, God will take care of my tomorrow.
2: Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God.